Here this morning, we had some questions that came in from last last week. A few uh, people were asking some things or just making some comments. So it seemed like it was a an area of interest. So we wanted to spend a little bit more time. And I thought there was no better way to spend more time on that topic than to just continue on with what Jesus was teaching. Because he had some things to teach in chapter 14. He also had some things to teach on it in chapter 15. So we don't find as many questions in there. But maybe we can still get some of our questions answered. So we're going to spend some time here on, on John chapter 15. So if you are here in the building, you can turn in your Bibles, look up on the screen. If you're online, we have all kinds of new fancy things to try and make the Scriptures more visible for you. How many are at home on Wednesday nights enjoying some of the things that are have been added? Anybody at all? Nobody here. Okay. <laughs> Daryl's been working hard. Oh, there we go. we got a couple of hands up there. Daryl's been working hard talking to the people with the new box that we had to get. We were having so many broadcasts and sound issues on the old one. We just got the new one. And uh, you guys are such faithful givers that when we needed something like that, we just can go out and get it. They aren't cheap, but uh, this one provides us with a whole lot more things. And the sound issues have gone away and the broadcast issues have gone away. And we haven't had any more of those problems coming up. And so we're, we're looking forward to uh, finding out some more things that it can do. But if you're online and you have some comments to make, we always read them, see what things are there. If you're on YouTube or if you're on Sermon.net, I may not see them right away, but I do get up there and check out and see what anyone has posted. Even if you come up there later on, we'll still find out. But here's a question for you. Are you a true friend of God? How many like singing that song, I am a friend of God? We all sing that, am I a friend of God? Well, I'm going to show you, we're going to go into a passage here today in John chapter 15, and Jesus is going to define three different things for us. First off, he's going to define who is a servant, who is a friend, and who is a disciple. Many people who think they are a friend will find out they are not. And some people who think I'm not a friend may find out they are. Jesus makes it real clear to find out. Servant, friend, or disciple. Now out of that list, how many people want to be servants of God? How many people want to be friends of God? How many people want to be disciples of God? We want to be at all. Here's the thing. When Jesus teaches this, this is Jesus teaching. This is not my opinion. This is what Jesus says. He says, you are no longer servants, but friends. If you hang on to being a servant of God, you will miss something. Now, why is that? Sometimes we want, I just want to do it all for you, God. It's not what he's looking for. We got to get into this, what he's teaching. Now, some of the things that he was saying last week... Hope no one came up bewildered. I didn't hear anything in the purge reports of people uh, talking about the, the victory, but I didn't quite get into get to hear all of them. A lot of times I have to catch the purge reports afterwards and just read them on the clipboard because uh, sometimes some things are going on in the back and we're just trying to, to solve some things. There was a little bit going on back there to, this morning, but um, I didn't. I was trying to catch, see if I heard anybody uh, talk about any of those. I did not, but let's take a look at this. Now, last week we saw that we... We start out coming to know the Father through Jesus. We come to know the Father through Jesus. 
then keeping His commands, and then we move on to the infilling. We start out knowing, we go on to keeping, and then we move on to the infilling. We saw that Jesus said His identity is caught up in the Father's. He is so caught up in the Father's identity that all you had to do was get to know Him and you would know the Father. You would not even have to see the Father. All you had to do was come to know Him. That's what we are supposed to do with Jesus Christ. We are supposed to have so much of His image on the inside of us that if people come to know you, they will have seen Him. That is our goal as a Christian. Now, His words and actions, everything that He did, everything that He said, it was dictated by the Father. His words were not His own. His words became those of the Father. And since they were the words of the Father, they also had the Father's authority. Now, how much of your own identity do you still maintain? That was the question we threw out there last week. How much of your own identity do you still maintain? Jesus forwent His identity to have the identity of the Father. So that everything He did, He did because the Father wanted Him to. Even going to the cross, not my will, but your will be done. He put it all out there. I don't want anything of me. I want it all to be the Father. So if you see me, you see the Father. But how much of our own identity have we maintained? We maintain our own identity by doing our own will. We maintain our own identity by speaking my own words, not the words of the Father. I speak words born of selfishness, pride, bitterness, unforgiveness, covetousness, frustration, all sorts of stuff that we speak words of. I do my own thing instead of the things that God shows me and that God tells me. I have my own beliefs. I don't think that the Bible really teaches that. I don't think that the Father really wants that. That's why people can go off and they have their own ideas about abortion. Well, it's okay as long as it's early enough in the in the process. Well, if having a baby would keep me from preparing to go the way God wants me to, then I guess it'd be okay. We come up with all kinds of reasons because I still maintain my identity. I'm not giving it up to the Father. That's where we have to go. We have to give up our identity to the Father. And that's the process that we have down here. Jesus had that process going on. And every time he hit a space where obedience was a, was a challenge, he rose to the challenge and he did what the Father wanted him to do. Now, you get to this place just by going one, th- one area at a time. Don't get overwhelmed. One area at a time. Work on what Jesus is saying to do. Well, he's saying, I got to get this thing in line. Get that in line. Don't worry about the rest of it. Work on that one. Don't get overwhelmed. The enemy wants you overwhelmed. The Spirit of God does not want you overwhelmed. The Spirit of God is not going to lead you in a way that's going to get you to be overwhelmed. John chapter 15, let's take a look. I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the true vine. Jesus is the vine. There is no other vine. It is Him. My Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is not the vine dresser. The Holy Spirit is not the vine dresser. The Father is the vine dresser. He's laying this out. I want you to understand who's who's doing what. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that he bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Are you in the Father or in Jesus? Now see, Jesus was in the Father. 
But we're called to be in Jesus. He is the vine. Who's the vine dresser? The Father is. Jesus is the vine. We're supposed to be part of Him. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. Why? Because He's the vine dresser. That's not your role. You may look around the church and you may say, this one's not bearing fruit. This one's not bearing the fruit I want them to bear. And you may be wanting the ones, one of the ones that wants to go out there and take them away. It's not your role. I am not the vine dresser. He is. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. So if the branch is bearing fruit, we don't want to cut it away. What we want to do is we want to cut off the dead parts. We want to cut off the parts that keep it from being as fruitful as it can be. And if you get around plants, you know, you can, there's some things that you can do that, uh, uh, work on that. My, my mom, when I was a young kid growing up, she had me out in the vegetable garden. She showed me things to do with tomato plants. I didn't like tomatoes, but I knew how to grow the plants. And so she showed me, you know, take this thing off. Don't let this one grow. Uh, sometimes if you have too many, uh, bl- blossoms on them, well, you got to knock a few of them off. So you take some of those those off so you don't get a whole lot of little ones. You get some bigger ones. And so she showed me some of the things to to do with that. And so I was out there doing it. Um, I still am not a big fan of tomatoes, but I love tomato sauce. But I I won't kick a a tomato off a hamburger, but I won't ask for it either. Now it says that you are already clean. Look at this. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Are the He's speaking this to the disciples. Are they perfected? Have they gotten rid of all sin? Have they gotten rid of all unbelief? They have not. But he says to them what? You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So the word that he spoke to them is the same thing the word he speaks to us. It gets, it gets us clean. The word of God will have a, has a cleaning effect. Let it have that cleaning effect for you. He says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. He says, abide in me. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, I am the true vine, he says. I am the true. If if Jesus is the true vine. That's what he's saying. I am the true vine. If Jesus is identifying, I am the true vine. What does that immediately tell you? That there are other false vines. Not all vines are the, are the true one. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. So that means that there must be some false vines out there. If there weren't any false vines, he wouldn't be warning us, I am the true vine. So there's a need to distinguish the true. And my father is the vine dresser. If I get attached to a vine, this isn't in the text, but I think you can see this. If I get attached to a vine that is not the true vine, who is the vine dresser? Have you ever heard people, Christians, in churches, been in church for years? Have you ever heard people that are in churches that are talking about how God is pruning them and the things that He's doing? And you're thinking, God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. No, the Word of God says God doesn't do that. How, do they, how did they come to that? Because they got attached to the wrong vine. And then when you're attached to the wrong vine, you have the wrong vine dresser. 
And that vine dresser is not trying to get you to make, to produce fruit for God. He's trying to get you to produce fruit for another cause. That's why you see some religious folks, they got, they get up and they get up in the church and they, they say, God is doing this. God is doing a new work in me. God is shaking the tree. God is doing all these things. And you're thinking, what is God doing? But you see, they're not producing fruit of the kingdom. So he says, I am the true vine. Be careful. Be careful what vine. Just because people say that they're a Christian church, just because people say I'm a part of a Christian church, just because people say they believe the Bible, it does not mean they believe in the true vine. This chapter is very specific telling you who this true vine is. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, Jesus does not, and we don't. The Father does. He's the vine dresser. If you bear fruit, you are pruned. That can be a bit of a painful process. But there is some pruning that goes on. Now, if you really want to get into the rest of Scripture, if you don't want to be pruned by the Father, you will find out in the rest of Scripture that you can judge yourself and avoid it. If you don't want to, then the Father will come along and he'll prune you. Now, he doesn't prune you with sickness and disease. He doesn't prune you with poverty. Poverty can work its way in there if you refuse to do what the Father says. That happened to Israel. They got into, into some poverty situations, but it's because they refused to do what God said to do. And they didn't listen to his prophets when he came along and pruned them. Those that bear fruit are pruned, but you are already clean, he says. Now, being clean, get this part. Being clean does not mean you bear fruit. Look at that passage again. That's what he's, that's what he's saying. I'm not saying it. Jesus is saying it. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes and it may bear more fruit. You are already clean. You can be clean and be a branch that doesn't bear fruit. Sometimes people want to get in condemnation. The devil comes along. Darkness comes along. People come along. And they try and put them under condemnation because they say, well, you're not bearing fruit, so therefore you must not be saved. You must not be righteous. You can be clean and part of the vine and not bear fruit. But if you're part of the vine and don't bear fruit, you're going to get some attention. Because the purpose is to get you to bear fruit. He's going to help you in that process. It's not going to hurt you. He's going to help you in that process. Now, three things here. These are three important things you've got to get out of this passage here. First off, well, let's put it this way. So bearing fruit is a process of becoming fruit. Or fruitful. That involves three things this involves. Becoming fruitful involves three things according to this passage. First thing, identifying the true vine. I have to identify the true vine. I have to know what is the true vine and be attached to it. Because if I get attached to something that's not the true vine, I will not produce fruit like that vine is. If I want to produce fruits that Jesus has, I got to be attached to Jesus. So first off, identifying the true vine. I got to know this is the true vine. Second, abiding. He talks about abiding. 
We got to abide in the vine. And third, pruning. The Father's going to come along. He's going to do some pruning. He's going to speak to your spirit. He's going to say, Steve, knock that off. Steve, pursue this. You need this. Not all pruning is negative. Sometimes the pruning process that God has is He's saying, all right, up till now you haven't needed this, but you need this revelation. You need this understanding in order for you to go further. And He's ready to give it to you, but He'll tell you, study this, prep this, go after this, because you need that foundation. And when you go after that foundation, then He's going to say, all right, now you're ready, here's this. Remember the disciples? After they got the revelation that Jesus was the Christ, then Jesus began to teach them on some other things. Until you get some revelation, some understanding in the Scriptures, until, not just that you've heard it, until you get them, you're not ready for some things that the Father wants to send your way. But he's, He knows down the road you need this. And we're getting closer. So I'm going to start pruning you a little bit to get you to perk up. Because I need you to, to go this way. Of course, if He didn't love you, He wouldn't prune you. So those three things. Identifying, abiding, and pruning. Now the word identify comes from the Greek word meno. And we have talked about it before. It means to stay, remain, continue, or to permanently reside in one place. That's why we get the, the, the term abide. A couple of other places where this is used. I'm just going to read them. They're not, not in your outline. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures. It's translated endures there. He will receive a re- reward. 1 Corinthians 7, 8. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. So you already are in that state. Remain or abide in that state. One more I'll give you. 1 Corinthians 7.20 Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Now you can go on. but I wrote down 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 other ones. Well, I'll give you one more. 2 Timothy 3.14 But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. In other words, you must abide in them. You must live in them. You must stay in them. John 15, verse 5. Let's go back up there. I am the vine, you are the branches. So again, we're identifying. Jesus is the vine. It's not the Father that's the vine. It is Jesus that is the vine. We are abiding in Jesus. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. If you abide, not if you are attached, if you abide. There are many people that are attached, they're clean, they are attached, but they're not producing yet. He says, if you abide in me, let me read it again, if I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So there is fruit that will come because you are in an abiding presence with him. So he needs to abide on the inside. He has to become part of you. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you don't abide, you're attached. You're attached to the true vine, but you're not abiding. Therefore, you're not producing fruit. Therefore, he says, you get cut off. So it's good to produce fruit. Now, you may ask the question, what is fruit? And we'll get to that. Don't let that distract you right now. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now this he talked about in chapter 14. If you will abide in me. There's an if there. I've got to abide in him and my words abide in you. Now Jesus gave us this demonstration because it said that he abode with the Father and the Father abode with him. And his words, the Father's words were in Jesus so that Jesus spoke those words and Jesus did those things. Now, don't lose sight of your role. Jesus is the vine. You are not the vine. No person who walks on this earth right now is the vine. Jesus is the vine. He's the one we want to be attached to. We are the branches. The person next to you, they're a branch. They're not the vine. They're the branch. They're not the vine dresser. They are a branch. A branch needs a vine dresser. They don't become a vine dresser. They, they need one. And the Father is the vine dresser. So those are the three roles. Don't lose sight of your calling. If you abide in me, in my words abide in you. That's what we need to do. That's our calling. If you abide in me, I am called to abide in him. He wants me attached to the vine. He wants me to get clean so I'd be attached to the vine. Then he wants me to abide in him. He's going to define, he's going to shape this up for us here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's what we have to do. That's our call. I, I have to keep this part on. I must abide in Him. When I take on the role of being selfish, when I seek after my own things, am I abiding? No, I'm not. When I speak words that are not good words, am I abiding? When I am thinking thoughts that are not the best of other people, am I abiding? I am not. And you can the list just keeps on going on, doesn't it? If I'm not abiding, I'm not going to produce what the vine wants me to produce. So I got to abide. If my if you abide in me and my words abide in you, I put this in your outline, I believe. If you can do this, if you don't lose sight of your calling, if you abide in him, and his words abide in you, if you don't lose sight of that. You won't lose power in your prayer. Many Christians lose power in their prayer because they've stopped abiding. Or they abide part-time. They abide part-time. Now, I heard that the kids were going to be in service today, so I had some things in here for for at least the ones that I knew. But uh, uh, Chenzo, he, uh, Chenzo, he'll do this. If you get around Chenzo and you play with Chenzo, you will find out some things about him. First off, Chenzo, in the course of a, of a given day, Chenzo will play with X number of trucks. It is plural. Cars and trucks. It may be 10. It may be 20. It may be 30. It may just be a couple of them. If he got a new one, that number goes way down. And we focus in on the new one. Because this is who Chenzo is. Chenzo likes cars, and trucks. That's what he likes. If he's not in the house playing with the cars and the trucks, he's outside riding the scooter. He likes to ride the scooter or the bike. The bike will do. He likes to ride the scooter or the bike. That's Chenzo. Chenzo likes to do these. This is the kind of things that he does. And if he's not riding the scooter and he's not playing with the trucks and he takes some time out to eat, generally... Chenzo will eat nuggets. 
Sometimes pizza. There's a few other things that will be on there, on that list. It's a short list for gentle. It's a short list. If you want to go for, you know, what do you want for lunch? It's, it's a real short list. There's about seven things on the list. Those are two of them. Ramen noodles, that's a good one. We like the ramen noodles. We like, uh, he, he wanted quesadillas the other day. He was over at our house. He wanted quesadillas. I haven't been to, what's that, what's that place called? The Chipotle. We haven't been there in I don't know how long. It's not a, a fan favorite of ours, but you know the grandson wanted it, and that's where he wanted it from. So that's where we went. We had, but this is Chenzo. Why does Chenzo do it? Why is it that you could put Chenzo into a room and Chenzo will look for the trucks, he will look for the scooter, he will find the nuggets? This is who Chenzo is. It's in him. He doesn't have to try and be that. He doesn't walk in a room and try to become that. It's in him. Now, Lissy's different. Lissy, when she goes, uh, if you, how many trucks will she play with in a, in a day? Generally, the number is zero. Not always. Sometimes she'll play with a brother and she'll do some things. Now, me, myself, if you want to say, how many trucks do you play with during the day? Generally, that number is zero, unless Chenzo is over. And he wants me to, to do some things with a truck. If you ask me, how many chicken nuggets do you eat in a day? Generally, the number is zero. I'm just not a, that, they're just not a big thing for me. I don't, uh, I don't go after them a whole lot. If you ask me, how many times do I ride on the scooter? Generally, that number is zero. That's not a thing that's not in me to do. You may have similar numbers in what you do, but it's not in you. It's in him. Now, listen, you could say, how many uh, pictures will Lissy draw in a day? Well, it could be two. It could be five. It might be ten. I have all kinds of pictures from Lissy drawing. And um, a number of years ago when she was young and I got the phone that had the pen, I could give her my phone. And she would doodle and she would draw. I still to this day have those things on my phone and I still have many of the things that she drew for us. And uh, Nachenzo, I have I don't have many pictures from him that he drew. But that's not in him the way it is her. This is in her. If you put her down at a table and there happens to be paper and a pencil, crayons, whatever, she will start to draw. She will put that put together. It's just in here to do it. Now, I did notice Chenzo was over at our house and he, we had paper and pen and he was starting to write letters and, and do stuff and he was having a good time with that. But that's her... Her thing. Uh, now, she's, she'll ride a scooter every now and then, but that's not her big thing. What's in her, she likes her hoverboard. And so uh, she's going to be out in that hoverboard. She'll, she'll use the hoverboard to get around the house. If you ask me how many times you ride the hoverboard, the answer is zero. I, I, don't, drive, I don't ride the hoverboard. You're going to ask her in the, in the course of a day, how many pages did you read? And she could probably tell you. But she reads all the time. She pulls up her phone. She has her devotions. She reads her devotions. She has some books and she reads those. Just like her mama. She just loves to read. And so these are the things. You don't have to tell her. Sit her down now. Read. You don't have to. She has a book. It's in her. She's going to do it. And she will eat an unknowable quantity of cheese. It is not knowable because there is no one around to measure it. Whenever it is possible, we are sneaking a handful of cheese. We don't need anything on the cheese. We don't need the cheese to be on anything at all. 
We just want the cheese. Loves cheese. She just got the cheese gene and it seemed like she stole it all from Chenzo because Chenzo didn't have that for a while. He didn't like cheese a whole lot, but now he's, he's coming around. So, you know, he's, uh, he, he would even tell us, I don't like cheese. Can I have some mac and cheese? I mean, almost back to pack, he would tell us that. And, you know, we, we almost wanted to say, well, you do like cheese, but we, we didn't do that. We were working so hard to get him to eat stuff. But she will eat an unknowable quantity of cheese. Now, I'm sure many of you out there, if you had an unknowable quantity of cheese in front of you, you would be selective as to how much you ate. You only want to have so much cheese. But that's not her. It's in her to consume as much cheese as possible. She, if, if you give her the, the little shaker cheese that you put on pasta, it will likely be empty. It will likely be empty. If, you know those people who come out around the restaurant and they have the fresh Parmesan cheese and they start grinding it and as they say when? They're standing there for a long time with, with her. I thought I made them stand there for a long time. See, they're standing there for a long time with her. Oh man, she just keep going until mama or papa says that's enough. <laughs> She won't be the one that says that's enough because it's in her. This is what's on the inside. This is what we have to get. We have to get where the things of Jesus are just on the inside. It's just us. This is just what we do. But we have to get rid of the things that are us and become the things that are God, that are Jesus. Now, seeing as the kids were going to be in here today, I did bring an object lesson, but I'm still going to show it to you. I want to ask you something. We have um, a bottle of water, and there is nothing to added to this water. But if you had a bottle, most people buy bottled water because it's, it's, they consider it to be pure. I have no evidence that it's pure. I don't know what the person did who bottled it. They could have just gone up to the faucet, filled it up full of water. I, I don't know what they did, but many people spend the money on the water because they have confidence that the that the water is good. Now we live in um, uh, the Montgomeryville area, and North North Wales service our water. How many people have North Wales water? Not many, huh? All right, North Wales water is the best water around. It's reason enough to move to a place that has North Wales water. It re- and it's not just my opinion. It is that good. It is so good that when there was an aquarium store a saltwater marine aquarium store in our neighborhood, they did not treat the water before they put it in outside of putting a dechlorinization agent in the water. To this day, I have never treated my water as long as I have been in the house where we in. I just put a little dechlorinization in it and then put the water in and it's fine. Most people who have reef tanks have to have the whole setup, reverse os- osmosis, and most of those people have had a flooded home at one point or another because of the setup that they, they have. And they have to produce so much water. I don't have to do that. I go to the tap, put a little couple of drops of thing in, pour the water in the tank. Our water is that good. I don't do bottled water. I have a jar. I go up to my refrigerator and I hit, fill it up with water. And we have an ice maker. Glory to God, whoever invented ice makers. I love people who made ice makers because you don't have to do nothing. All you got to do is just go up to the refrigerator. I want ice. Bingo, there it is. We have two ice makers. We have one in the door and we have one in the bottom so that you can get a whole bunch of ice down there in the bottom. Oh, we love the ice makers. But you see, 
people will do this because they have pure water. They don't want all the other things that come along with it. You don't want the chlorine. You don't want the uh, other harmful things that will, will come on in. I will say that's one thing about North Wales. There is one thing that is in the water that should not be there, and that's phosphates. We have phosphates in the water, and I have to deal with that as in the, in the reef tank. I have to do some things to take care of the phosphates and get that out. But that's a longer process. But other than that, it's, it's pretty good water. But if I were to take this, this water, how much dirt will you tolerate? If I take some this nice, clean water, if I sprinkle just, just a little tiny bit of dirt in it, mix it all up in there, how many people would drink it? Just, it was just a little tiny bit. Right? It's just a, it's not much. It's just a little tiny bit. A little tiny bit of water. It's mostly just water. It's a little tiny bit. Now, if you didn't know about it, you'd drink it. Because you couldn't even tell looking at it. Right now you can, it's a little bit clouded. You, you wouldn't have been able to tell. But you see, this is what we want with, with God. I want to have mostly God, just a little bit. A little bit of selfishness. A little bit of temper tantrums. A little bit of anger issues. A little bit of language problem. Just a little bit. A little bit where I feel self-righteous enough to get mad at people for not treating me right or doing something that I wanted right. Just a little bit, right? And then we're okay. Go, God, how come you won't take me like this? You see, we we don't want the purity in our life. God, you ought to just take me just like, like this. Now, it's a whole lot easier for God if I don't know the impurities that are in my life. But if I know the impurities in my life and I embrace them, how much harder is that for God? You knew you were doing this. That was his problem with the Israelites. They didn't do things they were ignorant of. They did things that they knew. And then sometimes we just kind of get frustrated and we just say, you know what? I'm just having a bad day today. I'm just, I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm not paid enough for my job. And we just keep putting more and more dirt in our life and then presenting it to God. But God, you don't know what I went through today. You're lucky I'm even here. We don't expect ourselves to drink water or to put in us things that are impure. Why do we expect Jesus to take us in when we allow impurities and we do nothing to take care of them? Nothing to fix it up. That's why he's teaching some of the things he's teaching here about abiding. About abiding. Now, we've only introduced it. Now he's really going to get heavy. See, the things that I produce, it's because there's a tendency on the, on the inside of me. I can have a tendency to get angry. That's not something you're supposed to hide behind. That's something you're supposed to change. That's something you're supposed to, to, to work towards fixing. Well, God, I have a tendency to be selfish. I have a tendency to only look at things my way. I have a tendency to assume the worst about people. Well, the Word of God says you ought to fix it. Tells you how to fix it. Tells you ought to fix it. You ought to do it. Now, some of the tendencies that we have naturally, you look at some of the things that go on with Chenzo, you look at some of the things that go on with Lissy, uh, 
you can look at a combination of mom and dad. You can look at yourself and say, well, I, I like this. Mom and dad were this way. Mom and dad had these kind of interests, and this is where I go. No, no, every once in a while, you know, something just pops up, and I don't know where that came from. Nobody wants to take credit for it. Now, when we are born again, we are meant to take on the tendencies of the, of the Father because Jesus took on those tendencies. And if we're going to become like Him, we're going to see some of those traits come in us. We have to leave the Father we had in the sin nature and take on the Father of the new nature. Verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. By this my Father is glorified. We want to glorify the Father? Bear much fruit. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. The way that Jesus got to do what he was doing was that love the Father had for him. And he says, I love you the same way the Father loved me. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments. There's the if. If you do it. If you don't keep your his commandments, what are you going to abide in? Not his love. If you keep his commandments. Is there anything there about being a part-time commandment keeper? Is there anything in there about being a commandment keeper as long as you're not hungry? You're not tired. Not overworked. Not frustrated. He says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. One of the things we have to learn as Christians is how to keep His commandments when the opposition to doing it grows. This is what Jesus did. He, he, it says He grew in obedience. Didn't mean He was disobedient. It means He learned how to continue to be obedient even when things got tougher. As the opposition to obedience rose, He grew so that He never stepped into disobedience. And as more opposition came, to try and get him to, to quit, to not follow, he, stay, he continued to grow. So that when he got to the point of the cross, he had grown to such an extent that he was e- e- obedient even to the point of death on the cross. The same way that Abraham had grown to a place of obedience. So when the Father says, when the, the, Jesus says to him, sacrifice your son, your only son, he says, okay. And he walks in obedience to it. That's where we have to get to. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. There's no other way to do it. The way that Jesus was abiding in the Father's love was by doing His commandments. So if Jesus quit doing what the Father said, He stops abiding. It's the same thing with you. Now, if you already looked at the comic this week, put the little comic in there, I'm telling you, I, I try every week to make sure it's not just some arbitrary, oh, that was funny. No. <laughs> it's, we're trying to get something, something more out of it than that. It's, it, you can, we can laugh at these things, but it's also important for us to, to see this. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now, I'm not going to give you the... Uh, I'm not just going to tell you, well, this is how the comic works in. See if you can figure it out. It's not that hard. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You can't pick and choose when you're going to obey. You got to make sure that you continue to obey. If you are facing something and it's difficult to obey, this is a growth opportunity. This is a place where you can grow in this. Well, usually when this happens, I start thinking this. I'm not going to think that this time. Usually when that happens, you know, we all, we all know that it's Christmas season, Christmas movie time. And even if you made the switch, the Hallmark is still putting some nice ones out. But, uh, you know, they, they also have some other ones that are, they're not so nice. But GAC puts out some really good ones. You don't have to worry about those. But they all have the same problem. Somebody in the movie is going to make an assumption. Someone is going to think the worst thing about it. And the thing is, they were so used to it. How many of you start looking at the beginning of the movie for what the the uh, offense is going to be. My wife and I were just watching one and I said, all right, that's where they're going to get offended. And she goes, yep, that's where they're going to get offended. And we know as the movie went along, yeah, that's where they got offended. That's where they had the problem. And sometimes they're just stupid. It's like you cannot even, there's no way that you can take that much offense out of what you just saw happen there. But they do. They do. And you're, you're coaching them along from the sideline. Don't do it. But when we're in the same position, we don't do the same thing. We don't coach ourselves out of that. You've got to get the commands of God down on the inside so much so that when He says, don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth, no unwholesome word comes out of your mouth. Yeah, but you don't know how mad they got me. Hmm. Let's go back to the Scripture again and find out what... What did it say again? If you're going to abide in His love... You keep His commandments. That means keep on keeping His commandments. You, you, you hear them, you put them into practice, and you keep doing them. Just like you keep the commandment of your car. I will run as long as I have gas. How many know you have kept that commandment of your car each time? You know it must have gas. You go by the gas station, you look at the meter... Looks like I can make it around for a little while longer. Sometimes you say, i got half a tank, but I don't know where I'm going to be. I'm just going to fill up now. I'm just going to be ready. Fill up now. But you keep that commandment, don't you? Because you know that if the car runs out of gas, thou shalt not go. That's it. And then it's a whole lot more effort to try and get going again. And you got to ask for help. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now this is how it's, my Father is glorified. That we bear much fruit. He wants us to bear fruit. When I bear fruit, I demonstrate the glory of God. Now what are the fruit? Well, Paul told us the fruit of the Spirit is 
love. Now, we've talked about this before, but just, just repeat it. Make sure you know the fruit of the Spirit's... It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are. It says the fruit of the Spirit is... The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's it. Everything else is an outgrowth of love. There's not another thing in that list that's not an outgrowth of love. You cannot not walk in love and do those things. If you're going to walk in patience, you're walking in love. Whatever is in that list, you will only keep it if you are in love. So you've got to abide in His love. How do you abide in His love? Keep His commandments. I can do this. Sometimes you just got to get out there and say, I can't, I can. <laughs> I will not walk that way. I will not let the flesh rise up. I will not get selfish. I will stay this way. I will not think the worst. I will walk in love. And you just determine, this is what I'm going to do. Verse 11, these things that I have spoken to you that you're... I'm sorry, I missed some of your, your blanks there. Sorry about that. So first off, by bearing fruit, we will be His disciples. But then He speaks of three things, love, obedience, and joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So there is love, the love of the Father, the love of the Son, abiding in us, obedience, doing His command, and joy. These things I have spoken to you that your joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. The reason a lot of times our joy is not full is because we keep walking in selfishness instead of walking in what He told us to. We've stepped out of being abiding in the vine and we're abiding in selfishness. We're abiding in ourselves. We're letting our own identity come out instead of the identity of the Father. And that's why your joy will be hindered. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this and to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Greater love has no one than this and to lay down his life for his friends. He's talking about his death here. Jesus died on the cross not according to the way some people say. He did not die on the cross for the whole world. He died on the cross for those that are his friends. The entire world can be his friends. All they have to do is what? Do his commands. So if you don't do his commands, you're not a friend. And he didn't lay down his life for you. He would have. He's willing to. So these Christians that want to go around and do whatever they want to do. That's why I put that quote in there. How many read the quote? All right. That's why I put that quote in there. Because it, it's, it's right along this. We want so much to, to see the grace of God. We want so much to not have to walk under the law of God that we've forgotten about obedience. And that was, uh, that, I couldn't put it any better than they did there in that quote. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his own life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I commit, whatever. Not just do my commands, do whatever I command. So if he comes to you and says, Abraham, sacrifice your son, your only son. That's not in the word. But he came to him and said that. Abraham said, okay. When he comes to his disciples and he says, forsake all and come follow me, they said, okay. 
They did it. That's not in the Word. It's not in the Word. You have to forsake all and go follow Him. But they, but they did it. You see, when you get to this level, when you get to the friend's level, He will say whatsoever. If He can say whatsoever and you do it, what do you open the keys to? You saying whatsoever and it being done. We have, how many times we've gone back over this teaching of Abraham? Because Abraham sacrificed his, his son. Because he did that, God was able to send his son. Because we step out and we do whatsoever he asks of us, he is then able, the doors open, to do whatsoever we say. Can you see how that ties in? But there's a whole lot of Christians. He says to them, do this, don't do that. Don't marry this one. Don't go into that situation. Don't take that job. Don't go this direction. And they do it anyway. And then they want to have the power to say, whatever, whatsoever I say happens. Uh, no. Abraham had to start the process. Abraham had to be the first one to put his, his firstborn up. Then the door was open. He wanted to, God already said, this is what I want to do. I want to bless the whole world, but I got to find somebody who will do this first. And then he found somebody who would do it. He found that obedient one. God the Father looked down and saw that Jesus did what he said to do, so he was then able to tell Jesus, go to the cross, we can get this done now. We've got to be willing to do the whatsoever's. We just want to be one-sided. Well, God, whatsoever I say, I thank you that you do it. And God says, well, I've said a few whatsoever's to you. I haven't seen too much coming out that way. Don't, don't walk that way. Let's read those verses again. These things I have spoken to you that my, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. For you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Be one of those ones who will do it. Verse 15. No longer do I call you servants. See that? No longer do I call you servants. Up till now, he's called his disciples servants. He says, now I no longer call you servants. Look at this, Russ. Rest of this, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. Now, I'm going to get into this verse here, but you can go home and meditate on this for a while because there's a whole lot more we're going to get into here today. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. If you want to stay in the servant area, if you want to remain a servant of God, you are not going to move into this. But if you want to become a friend of God, you've got to be willing to do whatsoever He commands. That's a friend. That's a friend. Look at it this way. How many friends do you have that you can call up and say, Hey, I got an emergency. Can you help me? How many friends do you have that you can call up and those, you say that to them? Oh, yeah. Be right over. Sometimes we have some people in our life, well, I, boy, I have an emergency. We look down our list of people we can call. Well, yeah, they won't do it. Yeah, they won't do it. Why? They're not, they're not that kind of a friend. 
And a lot of times it's because we haven't been that kind of a friend to them either. He wants to get you to this place where he tells you. Remember the story with Abraham? Shall I withhold from Abraham what I plan to do? Seeing as he will be great. And he told him, I'm down here. I'm going to check out these cities. And if they're as bad as they say, I'm going to destroy them. He told him his plans. Told him his plan. He's not the only one. How many prophets in the Old Testament did he tell him his plans? How many people in the New Testament did they hear the plans of God? Why? Because they went from servant to friend. How they get? How they do that? Because they would do the whatsoever's. If God were to come up to you and say, "Help that person out. They are just a street beggar. They're always out here. They could probably do their own work. They could probably." And God says, "I didn't ask you to do. I said, go out there and take care of that. Help that person." And we make excuses because I'm not ready for the whatsoever's. Well, amen. Don't believe me. If you commit to a life that I'm going to do that, I'm going to become a whatsoever. I'm going to be one of those whatsoever people that whatsoever you command me, I'll do it. You will get tested. You will get tested. And it will seem ridiculous. Just like it was to Ezekiel. Why in the world should I lay on my side for all these days? What good is that going to do for anybody? Why do I have to lose my wife? Why do I have to marry this... uh this uh, lady of the street. That was Hosea, but. Whatsoever. There are people in the Old Testament, there are people in the New Testament, they would do whatsoever. So much so that if you could get a hold of this, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came to that time in their life, they had been one of those that God could count on to do the whatsoever's. So that whatsoever they said would come about. That's why they said it with all confidence. You can throw us in your fiery furnace if you want to. <laughs> but our God will deliver us. Why? Because God had called on them for the whatsoevers. And they answered. You want to be a person who can say whatsoever? You've got to be a whatsoever. People who say they know what God plans, what God wants, and they don't do what He says and what He commands. Let me ask this question of you. Whose plans, whose plans have they come to know? You have Christians out there all over. They say they know the plans of God, but they don't do what He commands. They don't live the life that the Word of God says. They're selfish, they're arrogant, they're rude, they're haughty, they're prideful. But they say they know the plans of God. And they reveal to you the plans of God. Whose plans do they know? Someone's telling them some plans. You see, they got attached to a wrong vine. Jesus said in the beginning, I am the true vine. Which means there are some false vines out there. Don't get attached to the wrong vine. You get attached to the wrong vine, you're going to do the wrong commands. You do the wrong commands. 
you're going to become a friend of the wrong source. And you're going to hear the plans of the wrong source. I've heard some ministers, people who go out there and they say, God is planning to do this. And on the inside of me, I cringe. How many people have been there? You've heard people get up and they say stuff and you cringe. What? That's not God. Because they got attached to a wrong vine. They're hearing the wrong plans. Because they're not doing what God said to do. They're doing what they want. Or whatever the vine is that they're attached to is telling them to do. They're sincere. They think that they have actually heard these things. Uh, we've, my wife, we've seen people through the years. Some people, they are more interested in hearing dirt on Christians than they are the plans of God. Where they pass themselves off as being spiritual. All they hear is stuff about people. Well, this is going on in this person's life. Well, this is going on in this person's life. But you look at how they're living. They're not living according to the way the Word says. They're not doing what the Word says. Whose plans are they hearing? Let me tell you what. You cannot be attached to the vine and still hear what's going on in other people's lives. Because the devil knows what's going on in other people's life and he's just as happy to tell you what's happening in their life. Just to give you cred as far as to other people. Remember in the, in the book of Revelation, lying signs and wonders. They bring people to believe. Don't fall into it. I don't care how many... How many times that? Brother Hagin, he would tell us this all the time. He says, I don't care if I get up, Brother Copeland gets up, and Brother Price gets up, and all three of us tell you exactly the same thing, word for word. If you don't have it in your spirit, don't do it. Put it on the back shelf. Because God's going to lead you by your spirit first off. Don't be listening to all that sort of stuff. Now, this is how some people come away saying, well, God told me such and such was going to happen. God told me that such and such was coming. God said He was going to do such and such. But the things never happened. Why? Because the plans they got were not the plans of God. Because they weren't attached to the vine. Because they weren't doing what the Word of God commanded to do. And they never stepped into that place of being a whatsoever. They wouldn't do whatsoever He asked them. Let's go on. we got to finish this. What God is doing includes those things that we can see. There's some things that are going on right now that God is doing. You can see them and there's some things that are going on right now that you cannot see. If we don't become those who do His commandments, could it be we are still His servants? Could it be we're still servants? Could that be? I'm not doing His commandments. Maybe I do them part-time. Maybe I do some of them. It might be you're just a servant. You haven't moved over to that place of being a friend yet. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name. How many times have we seen this? Is this like the fifth time? He may give you. Now, what if he chose you, but you didn't choose him? Well, the fruit won't come. There's a whole lot of people he chose, but they didn't choose him. Remember the rich young ruler? Go sell all you have, come follow me. He chose him, but the rich young ruler didn't choose him back. And he didn't follow him. 
There's a lot of people that have been chosen, but they haven't chosen back. You don't, the fruit won't come. Now these things I command you, verse 17, that you love one another. This is the, the thing he commanded you. Love one another. Well, what's that really mean? What's it really mean? Jesus demonstrated that love. The Father demonstrated that love towards Jesus. There were people in the Bible who demonstrated that love. Follow that example. No, well, I, I think I can just walk this way. I can just do this. Can't do that. Don't be, don't be putting your own thing on it. What did he say to do? Well, God, I'm not exactly sure what you said to do on that. You know what you should do then? Get into the Word. I'm going to find out what you said. Because whatever you said, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever you said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that. I'm going to love that person. I'm going to do these things. Do what he says to do. Don't do what your neighbor says. Don't do what people pressure you to do. Do what the Father says to do. The Father says, all right, go out there and do this. If the Father said to Jesus, go over here to this city, he would go. If the Father didn't say to Jesus, go over here to this city, he didn't go. Same thing with Paul. He went where he was told to go. I want to go here. Nope, you're not going there. Okay, I'm not going there. I like how Keith Moore put it one time. He says, well, I think I'm going in this direction. And God says, no, you're going over here. I think I like that way better. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, yeah, I'm all in on that. I'm ready. <laughs> now, if you are not a friend of God, whose friend are you? You're probably somebody's friend. There's something out there. Somebody can call you for a whatsoever. If you're not a friend of God, whose friend are you? I want to get myself to the point that I'm one of God's whatsoever friends. Whatsoever He commands me. Whatsoever He asks me, I'll do it. Now the ones whose commands you do, that's the one you're really the friend to. That could be religion. Religion could be telling you what to do. Religion could be telling you, well, you gotta act this way, and you gotta be pious, and you gotta pray three times a day, and you gotta read the Bible so many times a day, and you gotta show up at church this time. That's religion. And I'll do whatever religion tells me, but religion is my friend. I'm a friend of religion. Could be your flesh. When your flesh says, do this, go this way, we do it. We don't say no to our flesh. We keep doing what our flesh says. Could be the world. The world puts a little pressure on you to go this direction, and you go that direction. Could be darkness. The kingdom of darkness may put some pressure on you. You feel afraid. If I don't go that direction, I could be, um, all kinds of things might happen to me. Bad things. I don't want that. Could be evil. Evil might come in and, and be persuaded. There are people out there, they're just evil. They're friends of evil. And they do the fruit of evil. They bear the fruit of evil. Could be even the devil. Could be right up there with the devil. He, the devil just comes and he's the one who calls on you. He gives you the whatsoever. Now I'm sure not too many people are in that category, but there are people that will be out there. What you're attached to, that's the fruit you're going to duplicate. That's the fruit you're going to produce. You can produce fruit that looks like godly fruit. It looks like it, but it's not. Because it's born of your flesh. It's born of religion. 
It's born of these other things. It's not born of God. The Word of God tells us that in the end, our works will pass through the fire. And those things that are born of spirit, they pass through silver and gold. Those things that are wood, hay, and stubble, they burn up. Don't let these things be the, be the fruit that you produce. You don't want self-righteousness. You don't want selfishness. You don't want evil. You don't want corruption. You can pretend to produce godly fruit. But if it's other flesh, it's just for show. Don't, you don't want to just do show. You, you produce it, but you're attached to something else. I produce what looks like spiritual fruit, but I'm attached to something else. As long as I'm attached to something else, it's going to have the DNA of that thing. And God's looking for stuff that has the DNA of God. What happens to fruit or works not born of the Spirit? We know they get burned up. Now, three things here. Three things for the end. There are servants. There are people who are servants. You can write in as much of this as you want to. There are, there are servants of God. These are those who want to know what Jesus says, but really they bear no fruit yet. Might be a little bit of fruit here and there, but for the most part, there's no fruit yet. They're servants. Then there are friends. Those who do what Jesus says and bear fruit. Friends are people who do what Jesus says and bear fruit. And they move into the whatsoever category. Whatsoever He commands. Not just in His Word, but when He comes up in your spirit and He says, do this, okay. Give this, okay. Here's the third one. There are disciples, we saw this in verse 8. These are those who bear much fruit. Because He pruned them. They received the pruning. They were already producing fruit. They were already a friend of God. They did what He said. They were producing fruit. But they allowed Him to prune them. To shape them. And they received that direction. And they became disciples. Are you a servant? Are you a friend? Or are you a disciple? Now you can't be a disciple without also being a friend. You're not going to leave that, that part there to, to be that. But you do have to leave, stop being a servant. If you're going to become a friend. God, I've been a servant of you. I've done what I know. But I want you to take me to that place of being a friend. I want you to challenge me in that area of obeying your commands. I want you to teach me things in your word that I didn't know so that I can obey it. I want you to speak to my spirit and tell me things and test me. See if I'm a whatsoever because I want to be a whatsoever. I want to be one of those that whatsoever you command, whatsoever you ask, you'll do it and you move into the friend category. And when you get into the friend category, then is when you are there and God says, you know what? I've got these plans. I want to tell you what they are. That's a whole different way of walking with God. When you get to this spot, when you get to be that God can ask whatsoever of you, then you can ask whatsoever of Him. Because you have gotten your place to the you got yourself to the place where His Word is in you so strong. You're not a part-time do as He commands. You are a full-time do as He commands.
you won't tolerate any dirt coming into the cup. Uh Uh-uh. Because if you do, if you allow a little bit of the dirt to come in the cup, you are being sent backwards. Just like in the comics. I give it to you anyway. The penalties push them backwards. We want to go forwards. Now I've got to make up for that ground. I can still go, but I've got to make up for that ground. Every time that I let my selfish nature come out, every time I let the sinful nature come out, every time I go after my own will, my own way, instead of His, this is, this is when we're setting ourselves back. Don't set yourself back. Push forward. Keep going forward. And set your sight to become, I want to be a whatsoever. I want to be one of those ones God can say whatsoever He wants to me. And I will do it. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that you challenged us in that word. You've told us so many things about yourself in the word. Shown us so many things. And we can live a life that does what you want just by looking at your word, understanding it, and applying it. Well, we want to go into something deeper. We want to do whatsoever you command us in your word and whatsoever you command us in your spirit. And we want to become a friend of God. We want to get to the place where we are producing so much fruit. There's so much love coming out of us. We're walking in so much love for the people that are around us. So much love for the gospel, for the word. That we are abundantly fruitful. And we are counted among those disciples. I thank you, Father, that you are bringing us along, leading us along. I thank you for the progress that we have had up till now. But there's more to be had. Teach us, lead us, and bring us into that place. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today you made that commitment. I am going to become a whatsoever Christian. Be looking this week. No matter how small it is, no matter how little it is, if you found that God was giving you a whatsoever and you'd like to let us know, we'd love to hear. Write it down in the Persian reports and let them know. God was telling me a whatsoever. Give as many details or as little details as you want. But how is God helping you to become a whatsoever? Believe me, He wants people in this category. He desires people in this category. He will show you what to do. He will challenge you. But you know... Our God loves us. Oh, He loves us. He's not going to challenge you with anything that's going to hurt you, cause you harm. Only things that will help you. Would you all stand up with me?